sometimes when we're called to be redemptive, we're called to sacrifice. And you know, what does that look like through an entrepreneurial lens? And you can build beautiful things and you can be a leader that exhibits kindness and concern as well as grows a highly scalable business. So it's, it's positing a different way to think about the gift that entrepreneurship can be in the world. Welcome to the Ending Poverty Together podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Shalane. And we're here to discuss big questions about poverty in bite-sized ways. You know, Eric, each time we research and prepare for one of these podcast guests, I realize how much I have to learn. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Today really is no exception to that, Shalane. No, it certainly isn't. We have Donna Harris joining us. Donna is the co-founder of 1776, a community of entrepreneurs who are passionate about solving complex problems and revitalizing cities. And Donna is the founder and CEO of Builders and Backers, people who are igniting change in communities through experimentation and entrepreneurship. And she's also a venture partner with Praxis, which is a creative engine for redemptive entrepreneurship. And that's really just a sampling of Donna's resume. Yes. So Donna, we're eager to learn more about you and your work. And I just wanted to say welcome to our podcast. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. I always hate that introduction part. It's just jump past that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it helps us um, get a little bit of a picture of who you are and what you've done. Although it's possible that like uh, myself, maybe many of our listeners aren't familiar or weren't familiar with some of these organizations prior to today. I am also curious to know when you sleep, given the list of things that I've seen. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, I mean, especially as a mom, uh, you sleep when you can. It's, It's always a balance juggling it all. Yeah, no doubt. Well, let's just start with, um, you're the co-founder of 1776. You're the founder and CEO of Builders and Backers, and you're this venture partner with Praxis. We would love to hear your story and what brings you to us today chatting about poverty. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a lifelong entrepreneur, though I discovered it accidentally, and as I did I also discovered it in a way where I saw it as a tool to solve some of the problems that were around me. So I I grew up, I'm from Canada originally, I grew up in Detroit and seeing the economic decline in the city of Detroit while Mm -hmm. also working there led me to a place where I was really trying to start companies that were tackling things like education improvement. How do we get healthcare for more people? And I began to see it as a tool to solve social problems and also a really remarkable tool for job creation. The fact that we could teach people how to do this, they could be less reliant on having to get a job from someone else, but could create opportunities for themselves. So I've always sort of seen entrepreneurship as something that can be this really empowering thing if we approach it the right way. That is, yeah, so, so important. And we're going to dive more into kind of how your life experiences have led you to where you are and and what entrepreneurship means to you and how even that term has kind of grown and there's been other it's been augmented to include other terms as well and one of the questions that we ask all our guests donna is if you could finish the sentence poverty is dot 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 would love to just get a sense from you and you know you've already touched on it a little bit how would you finish that sentence and how do you see that kind of through your lens it's not a small question. Mm-hmm. I I think poverty 
is a lack, a lack of something important. We mm. tend to think about it through the lens of food, shelter, money, economic terms. But I've increasingly seen that it's also a lack of things like love, relationship, friendships, mm. kindness, connection. Mm. I don't know. It seems like we have a culture that has prioritized accomplishment and we sort of shifted to this world where everybody has to be self-sufficient and mm. financial status and material gain, the sort of pursuit of the things that we would typically associate with poverty, the pursuit of solving those things, we've left behind some of the humanity things, the common good, the community mindedness. And I don't know, the irony of it all is that it seems like now we've still got people who are economically impoverished and as a society, we're sort of impoverished for this human connection and human bonds, this idea of being stronger together. So mm. I think poverty is a lack of, of something important that, that is meaningful and valuable as humans. I have to say it is, it's so interesting even just starting out in this conversation to hear you talking about, you know, the, the issues that come with accomplishment and kind of individualism and, and those things to be talking about entrepreneurship at the same time, because in a way entrepreneurship, at least in, in my experience, entrepreneurship kind of gets tied to that machine, if you will, of accomplishment at all cost, um, the pursuit of like the individual's American dream or Canadian dream. So just that caught my ear. That's such an interesting point to hear you say. Mm. I wrote a blog post last week, actually, about this, you know, the sort of move fast and break things mantra <laughs> of <laughs> entrepreneurship that you think of when you think about Silicon Valley. And yeah. we've seen so many examples lately where that move fast, break things style of entrepreneurship is breaking things that are really important. Mm -hmm. um, and it's great if you're thinking about consumer conveniences, but not so great when you're talking about things where people's lives really matter. And yeah. the, the sense of being able to be together as a community and help one another. So, you know, we've, we've sort of posited this new ideal around can we shift from move fast to break things to come together and build things, right? Mm. Same tools, different mindset, different approach. Mm. Mm. And coming to, together to build things, I'm wondering if there's a connection there. Uh, one of the things that, one of the terms that I see coming up as I have looked at your LinkedIn profile and tried to get to know you a little bit is this redemptive entrepreneurship. And so I'm wondering if you could define for us what that term means. Yeah, it's it's one that through my work at Praxis have become familiar with. The idea that as Christians, as believers, we are called to redeem, right? We've been redeemed through Christ. We are the embodiment of that in this world. And can we act redemptively in this world? And what does that mean to do that as an entrepreneur? Right? I can choose to use my entrepreneurial skills in a multitude of ways. Can I use them in ways that build things, that build up society, that heal the wounds that exist in the world? Can I be a redemptive leader in, mm -hmm. in how I choose to work with my staff and my partners? And my can I be a redemptive investor? Meaning just because society says investors should do these things, that isn't the only way to do things. Is there a different way to operate as an investor where I can value the founders that I'm working with. And and so, you know, many people who are not Christians exhibit these kinds of behaviors, but mm. oftentimes it's not the norm, right? It's sort of the culture of grow fast, build at any cost, 
uh, investing to maximize return. And sometimes when we're called to be redemptive, we're called to sacrifice. And, you know, what does that look like through an entrepreneurial lens? And you can build beautiful things and you can be a leader that exhibits kindness and concern as well as grows a highly scalable business. So it's positing a different way to think about the gift that entrepreneurship can be in the world. Mm-hmm. Do you have a practical example of that you can share with us? So, so if I think about it through the lens of being an entrepreneur, I'm an investor in a company called Vomo and it's run by a really smart entrepreneur in Dallas. And you know, Vomo is a web application and it's designed to enable entire communities to mobilize people to volunteer. Hmm. And oh. the gentleman that runs it, you know, he could be building any kind of web app, right? I mean, there's web apps that do everything from, you know, wine on demand to, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. um, and so there's a choice in the kind of, of business that he wanted to form, right? His why, right? right? He wanted mm-hmm. to bring technology into the world to bring people together to help heal the wounds that exist in a community, to encourage people to engage in acts of love and kindness in the community around him. So he is choosing a redemptive kind of business. And then he himself is operating redemptively. So how he leads his team, the choices that he makes, we as the board, how we act towards one another, how much we invest and sow into him as a leader. And I, as an investor, am operating redemptively with him. So opening my network, spending more time with him than probably many investors might with Hmm. their businesses. And and always prioritizing the relationship in addition to the work we're doing together. The relationship really matters. The the why we're in this yeah. really matters and keeping that always in the forefront. Hmm. I'm, I'm hearing two points that I just jotted down there quickly um, that the redemptive entrepreneurship piece has almost to it like a, it's about what you do, but it's also the why behind it. So that, that app is such a great example of that. Right, exactly. And the how. Yeah, right. Because hell, exactly. you can get up every morning and choose to operate a bunch of different ways. What choices are we going to make mm-hmm. in terms of how we operate towards one another and what we prioritize in that relationship with each other? And one thing I've learned, I've got the perspective of age on my side and number of ventures under my belt. And the thing that I've learned is the ventures where we were aggressively prioritizing return and giving less thought to relationship were not the most enjoyable and frankly, not the most successful things I have done. Where I have found the most success is where we have found that balance of prioritizing people, prioritizing purpose, and prioritizing the impact we were making and the scale that we were doing it. Is it safe to say that your definition of success also kind of shifted in those moments? It, it definitely did. I mean, life is, life is transient. When we get to the yeah. end of our lives, the things that we're going to be remembered for. I mean, it sounds trite, the whole, you know, no one's going to remember your bank balance. Those things are really, really true. And we can be somebody who is a person of impact and somebody who prioritizes people and strong relationships. They don't have to be at odds with each other Mm -hmm. the way that I think society sometimes tells us they do, right? We sort of value hubris. We value definition, the stereotypical definition of leadership. What does that look like? Mm. Is that someone who's empathetic? Is that someone who's exhibiting kindness? Is that somebody who's showing grace and mercy toward the people that they work with? It's not your stereotypical 
description of a CEO or an investor. Mm-hmm. Um, and one wonders why, why not? Why, why couldn't that be? Mm-hmm. Anybody who has been listening to our podcast knows that our definition of poverty is pretty holistic and looks at the brokenness of relationships with God, with ourselves, with others, and with creation. And it sounds to me very much like that's what you're talking about here when you're talking about redemptive entrepreneurship. I am wondering if you can help us and our listeners bring it really specifically to poverty alleviation. Can you make a connection for us, maybe give us some examples of how does redemptive entrepreneurship address poverty? Sure. I'll give you a very, very personal example. So uh, when I was a fairly new believer, I went on my first missions trip. I happened also to be at the time in an entrepreneurial leadership role. I didn't really realize what I was getting myself into. We went to Haiti and Mm -hmm. we were there for a week. And keep in mind, I went to church in the inner city of Detroit. I was on a missions trip with kids growing up in what we would define in the United States as a very impoverished city. And when we got to Haiti, of course, there was a lot of realization that there are degrees to poverty. Mm. And a lot of kids, and frankly, everybody on the trip, feeling very broken over what we were seeing. We we're seeing you know, kids living in sewage dumps and mm. you know, cardboard boxes and horrible conditions, no shoes, clothes that don't fit, clearly very difficult lives. And we got to the very end of the trip and we had a day where we were taking the kids to the beach to give them, you know, sort of a break and a reward from the week of volunteering and the work that they'd done. And on that trip, we had a little boy from City Soleil hop onto the back bumper of the bus. And for two hours, when we drove to the beach, he held on to the outside of the bus. And I was beside myself thinking this boy was going to slip off, fall under the tires. We got to the beach. He and I sat together all day. And then at the end of the day, I realized we have to take him home. And the magnitude of everything that I had seen that week, the fact that electrical grids didn't work, power turned on and off. This little boy had clearly not a lot to eat, lived in a very impoverished place, probably wasn't going to school, had scars all over him. So one would wonder about the healthcare, like nutrition, sort of every aspect of life. I could see brokenness around this little boy. And mm-hmm. as I was, a, I was there on a volunteerism trip and I could tell that my little nuggets of volunteerism were not solving the root problems. Mm-hmm. We were going to leave mm-hmm. that boy in exactly the same condition that we found him. And that broke me. And the power of redemptive entrepreneurship is that it looks at that problem of poverty and doesn't just say, here's a handout. It looks at that problem of poverty and says, why does this Mm. exist? And what can we do about it? How do we get creative to solve the roots of why this little boy lives in a sewage dump? Why this little boy doesn't have healthcare? Why this little boy is struggling to get food and access to education, right? And that has been, for me, the defining pillar of what calls me to entrepreneurship. It's not about Hmm. making a ton of money and going to buy my palatial home and a a beach Hmm. house. It's about using these God-given tools 
to get to the root. Let's serve, but let's also solve. Mm -hmm. And by the way, solving doesn't necessarily mean looking at the government and saying, somebody should do something about Mm -hmm. that. It's looking at me in the mirror and saying, what can I do about this? And it also is being willing to meet that little boy in his brokenness and being willing to sit with it long enough to understand it as opposed to mm-hmm. running away from it and going, well, I did my I did my trip, I feel good, I had a week, now back to my life. But it's being willing to sit with that brokenness and say, I feel called to do something about that and to solve it with entrepreneurial tools. Mm. Hmm. Thank you for that, Donna. And already I'm just soaking up such helpful stuff, and I'm sure our listeners are as well. And as you are listening to this, we encourage you to consider what you're learning today. And if you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, we encourage you to email us at podcast at fhcanada.org. And Donna, if it's okay with you, just to kind of shift gears a little bit in terms of another one of the hats that you wear, I'm wondering if we can spend a little bit of time continuing on that topic of poverty, but looking at specifically at Praxis and how they are positioned to address poverty. Sure. Yeah, Praxis is doing so many amazing things. I mean, the the point of of the community, and it's a, a worldwide community of people, the sense is that we're part of an ecosystem of believers who want to operate redemptively. So within that ecosystem, you find entrepreneurs who are running nonprofit form entities. You have entrepreneurs that are running for-profit entities. You have philanthropists, you have investors, and you have sort of supporting actors, right? Lawyers and accountants and people who they themselves aren't the entrepreneur but want to come and be supported. And what's beautiful is that you end up with this community of people around the world who are all putting Christ first, who are all saying, how can I act redemptively? And that means not just building up my thing, but how can I help you build your thing as well? And so we have amazing conversations in person, in virtual events, in Slack groups. I've met people as far as Indonesia and Hong Kong and all over the world from this work. And it's just a beautiful testimony to the fact that God is calling people from all over the Christian faith in different forms to use these gifts to do really amazing things. So, you know, you've got people who are, who literally have, moved into war zones from you know comfortable wealthy enclaves that picked up and moved to places like afghanistan to exhibit their entrepreneurial skills in a way that help lift up people locally and it's all through this lens of how can we use this tool as a way to help you help yourself right Hmm. as opposed to let me give you simply a handout Mm -hmm. so when you say someone has moved into afghanistan to use their skills what would that look like? Is that starting a business and then hiring people? Or is it actually training people to start their own businesses or all of the above? All of the above. But this particular example is fascinating. This entrepreneur moved to Afghanistan. So if you Afghanistan, if you look at the economic reasons why so many people are in poverty, you look at some of the underpinning reasons why there is violence and, and social unrest, Oftentimes, there's an economic reason behind it. And if you look at what drives the economy, the drug trade is a really important thing, right? So you have, how can you redirect agriculture 
towards a equally profitable mm. trade. Mm. At, right. And so she's created teas and other high saleable products that can potentially substitute for these growers. And so not mm. just um, doing it from afar, she's literally moved there. So she's teaching farmers how to recrop their fields to sell this new product. She's building supply chain out so that as they're growing product and she's creating teas from it, she's able to sell it globally. And so, you know, she's really, it's, it's remarkable. And there's so many examples like that where, and this is the beautiful part about redemptive entrepreneurship is oftentimes we think about Christians helping around the world to alleviate poverty. We think about it by writing a check. We think about mission trips. We think about, you know, sort of micro business, let's teach you how to create your micro business. And what she's doing is really thinking wholesale about Mm. why does the economy work this way? And what could be the lever that could really change this for not just one person, but for an entire economy, right? So it's it's beautiful what, what she's trying to do there. And it's beautiful that she has the courage to have this big, bold vision and to say, why not? Why not? Yeah. Yeah, Donna, an, a phrase that maybe some of our listeners are familiar with that stands out to me in light of this conversation would be the idea of corporate social responsibility. And I'm wondering, from your perspective, how would the framework of redemptive entrepreneurship, how would it differ from that idea? How would you, how would you either compare or contrast those? So I think if we think about corporate social responsibility, Oftentimes it is through the serving and philanthropy lens. And while redemptive entrepreneurship is certainly has aspects of serving to it, it is much more through the solving and investing lens, right? So one of the, one of the models that we've created at Builders and Backers is this thing that we call the serving and solving matrix. And it in essence says serving and solving belong together. Hmm. They're companions towards tackling the need that we see in the world. And we shouldn't necessarily treat them as separate. So when we think about corporate social responsibility and the power of corporates to have an impact in the world, if we could get them to think through this comprehensive lens where we're meeting the need, but we're also figuring out why this need exists and beginning to use our resources to solve that need or to help the person solve that Mm -hmm. need CSR is oftentimes that sort of entry level meeting the need, but not necessarily going deeper and saying, well, why, Mm. why does this exist? Right. Yeah. Thank you for answering that. Yeah. It helps me just understand the, the differentiation between those two. And it sounds like for sure the redemptive entrepreneurship framework has that next step to it. It's, it's digging deeper into, and not to sling mud at, at corporate social responsibility, but (laughs) it's almost kind of the gateway. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we call it, you know, putting a pebble on the board, right? Like every everybody should have something they care about and they should be taking action some way. And for a lot of us, taking action is volunteering. It is making a donation. And that is wonderful and it's beautiful. That's the beginning yeah. of the funnel. It's not the only step. It's step one, right? Mm. And And how can we get more people to say, what's the next step? Right? And how do I learn about why that thing exists? Otherwise, we're just continuing to have to write the checks. We're continuing to have to volunteer for the same problems that we've been trying to tackle for a long time. When if we took a page out of entrepreneurship and said, how do we use some of these same ideas 
we might be able to try different ways to solve these problems that we hadn't imagined before. And mm. then that gets you to the place where you say, well, do I do it through a worldly lens or do I do it through a redemptive mm. lens? And a redemptive lens marries, I am trying to bring the kingdom, kingdom values, kingdom thinking into this world, which means I'm solving that problem, not just for my own gain. I'm solving that problem for our collective gain. And I, mm. the way I'm doing it is my witness to you. Mm. I'm showing you love through how I'm doing it. And that might succeed. It might not succeed, but it will definitely succeed at showing love. And that's a win when we think about it with the eyes of faith. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a, say, a, a new entrepreneur, and I'm interested in this whole idea of redemptive entrepreneurship. Is there a, a place for me in Praxis? And what would I, what would my experience be as a newcomer? So there's a couple of ways to get involved. Increasingly, Praxis has what we're calling guilds, which are mm -hmm. local groups that are in essence local manifestations of the greater global Praxis mm -hmm. network. Um, so there is a guild in Toronto, for instance. And so mm -hmm. that's a great place for people who have not yet started a business or haven't yet started down the trajectory of creating something to begin to get involved. Praxis, if you go to praxislabs.org on the website, there are resources that you can access. There are playbooks that you can get. So there's a redemptive nonprofit playbook. There's a redemptive mm -hmm. entrepreneur playbook. There's a redemptive investor playbook. And then there is the what we call rule of life, which is, in essence, a set of practices that help us live this out as individuals. And so there are some really great content and resources available on that website, mm -hmm. and then events that you can begin getting involved in. So if you've started a venture, you can apply to the Business Accelerator Program. If you've started a nonprofit, you can apply to the Nonprofit Accelerator Program. There's a summit once a year that you can go to. So no shortage of ways to get plugged in. Hmm. Sounds really quite relational, actually. <laughs> it is, exactly. Exactly. Imagine that, eh? <laughs> exactly. Um, Donna, what books or resources would you recommend people look into, you know, if this conversation on redemptive entrepreneurship has kind of piqued their interest? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the books that we have the Praxis Guild leaders read is MLK's Strength to mm. Love. There's a couple of essays in there that we recommend. One is the essay about having a tough mind and a tender mm. heart. And the other is the essay about being a transformed nonconformist. Mm. And so what I love about particularly that second essay is that he's not using the word entrepreneur, but he's alluding to a lot of what we're talking about here, that we must first be be transformed through our relationship with Christ and that that transforms our behavior and our mindset and our attitude, which allows us to be a nonconformist, right? And so being able to show love in action through entrepreneurial tools. So that, that would be one resource that I think is a good one for really thinking about what that could look mm -hmm. like. And then there's a host of books in the world of entrepreneurship that you can read, but I think it's most important to understand why society is where it is today. So I'd recommend books like Makers and Takers or Don't Be Evil by Rana Faruhar. Those are really good, mm. easy to read books about how did we wind up where we are 
And the thread that it paints is this need for creative action, mm. this need for solutions to come from places other than the government, other than big institutions. Um, so those are those are some good books. And then the last one, which is not as easy to read, but I think it's a such a fascinating book, is a book called Lincoln's Melancholy. Mm. It's one that has been newer to me, which basically paints the picture of somebody that we imagine as a great leader, but it paints the picture of somebody who because of the time he lived in, he didn't have access to medications and you know antidepressants and whatever. It forced him to live with and wrestle with some of the darkness that exists in our world. And that mm. actually led him to embrace this idea of lament mm. and being willing to sit with the brokenness around him and be uncomfortable with it and have the emotions around it instead of medicated away which and then it shows the threads to how he became this great leader uh, and how that became really important in who he was as a leader um, and mm. i just i love that book because if you're going to be a redemptive entrepreneur and you're going to use this tool to solve challenges related to poverty you have to really be willing to lean into some uncomfortable territory mm -hmm. there are so many different directions we could go i feel like we should have a four-hour podcast with you. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm um, I'm particularly excited about this topic because I think you probably know at Food for the Hungry, we actually have a desire to walk with business partners through our impact partner program. And we are really pressing into redemptive entrepreneurship and getting creative about joining God in the restoration of all things and seeing that happen within our business partners. I'm curious, what tips do you have for us as an organization? Maybe tips isn't the right word, but how would you coach in that regard? I mean, I love the work that you're doing, the the examples and the stories that you're telling. You know, it, it shows the power of possibilities. And I think you can't underestimate the need to tell the story of what mm. you're doing and, and how you're doing it. Because we there's such a powerful default mode in society that says, oh, you're helping with poverty. That looks like this, right? Mm. It looks like philanthropy. It looks like, you know, writing a check, adopting a child. Like, what's the nonprofit you're donating to? And so what you are doing, your approach is different than the mm. default mode. And people have a hard time understanding that until they see it in action. Mm -hmm. So I would lean really hard into telling the stories of the work that you're doing because you're doing exactly the right kind of things. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that encouragement. We we do see the effects of the walking with and the coming alongside. And I think that's why your story resonates so deeply with us because you have that passion for helping people create sustainable incomes and life livelihoods in a way that really dignifies people. I, I love that. So. And gives them a sense of agency, right? Mm. I mean, when you go around the world and you ask people, what is broken? What, what do you care about? What do you wish was fixed? And people answer the question as somebody should do something about fill in the blank. 
that's demonstrating an agency problem, right? Because we're defining that somebody else as outside ourselves, an institution, the government. And that's not to, to devalue the role that they play because they play a very important role in these complicated systemic problems that we have. But we have gotten to a place where we've forgotten that in the individual agency is also super important, right? The fact that with technology, there's a lot more that we can do for ourselves. We can bring new ideas and new concepts to people that hadn't imagined them before. And people who are closest to the problem oftentimes have solutions we've never imagined before. And it's really important that we have a pathway to tap that and to unlock that and, and to lift that up. Uh, because I do believe fundamentally that's at the root of a lot of the unrest that we're seeing around the world is mm. it is a a sense that the problems that are out there are beyond my ability to solve them because they're controlled by somebody thousands of miles away in a powerful role. And mm-hmm. I am the receipt of what they are doing, recipient of that. I don't play an agent role in that. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, and we have to undo that. Mm-hmm. And that coming alongside is how we start undoing that, isn't it? That's right. And it starts with the fundamental you know, basics of biblical belief, which is every one of us is created in God's image, which means every single one of us has value, has gifts to offer. And if we fundamentally believe that, then we ought to be taking an approach that demonstrates that. And that doesn't mean I have to come in and do it for you. It means I want to come in and build relationship with you and we can do this together Mm-hmm. And we all can be stronger for it. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. I'm just reflecting on one of many things that I'm kind of taking away from today. And I'm, I'm thinking about how you helped me just understand the difference between corporate social responsibility being one step, and that's an important step, but just how redemp- redemptive <laughs> entrepreneurship asks that question of what is the next step from there? That's just something that's really sitting with me. So appreciate your perspective on that. That's great. Well, I'm so glad I could join you all today. Well, thank you. And I'm wondering if you're listening, what you're leaving with today from this episode, what resonated with you that you can start doing today or tomorrow. And we want to be together in this journey and take the next step so that we can end poverty together. Donna, one last question for you. How can our listeners find you and how can they, I know you mentioned the website for Praxis. What's the best way for listeners to learn more about any of the things that you're involved with? Sure. Best place to reach me these days is through buildersandbackers.com. And you can read all about my work there and all my Praxis work is there as well. And would love to hear from anybody that this resonates with. Come and be a part of the movement that... You know, our mantras, we can come together by building together. Hmm. Wonderful. Thank you. To explore what your next steps could be, or to find out more about Praxis and what other Canadians are doing about poverty, start by checking out fhcanada.org slash resources. 